today. We're going to be reading several passages of Scripture. Um, we're going to read from Deuteronomy. First of all, we have no memory verse today. We're going to come back to that, so be reading up on it. Um, we're going to be reading from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And on your pew Bibles, that's on page 190 through 191. We're going to be reading 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. That's on page 1250. And Proverbs 22, verse 6, and that's on page 685. You're also welcome to use your electronic devices um, while you're looking those up. I'm going to tell you about our little guest card again. Don't forget to fill it out. And now it's on the floor. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Proverbs 22:6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. May God bless the reading of his word. All right. Well, we're interrupting our usual programming. Our, we're in the middle of a series called 8, um, for Romans 8. And we've been studying through that chapter of Scripture. And we're kind of taking a break today. We're going to take another break when we get to Father's Day. And we're doing kind of a two-part parenting, grandparenting sort of thing here. So um, this is part one today. Before I do that, um, there's... We don't have the forms in your bulletins today, I don't believe, but they're available. Um, maybe you got one when you came in, or uh, you can find one at the, ta the table out there. But if you would like a Cypress Street shirt, um, then the, today's the deadline for orders. And we've got a little square reader. We can swipe your card for buying the shirt. We can do that today. We can do it next week. Um, but, but the order has to be in today, or else... It won't be him. So, that's that. Um, Alright, Mother's Day. My kids are, are mama's kids. Like, you know, you hear of, it's daddy's girl or daddy's boy. I don't have those things in my life. Um, had these kind of coming around, but uh, yeah, we had our first child, a girl, and she clung to her mother, and I thought, when we have a boy, you know, it'll be different. It's not. It's worse. It's worse. We, I, I see other parents, they have children that love their fathers. There's other people's kids that like me better than Julie, but not my kids. 
Uh, the other day I was tucking in my kids. I put them to bed each night. They love me, just not as much as their mother. And we have a good time. But on this particular night, you know, sometimes when I'm leaving, I try to tell them something about I love them or I'm proud of them or whatever. And on this particular night, for some reason, when I said good night to Peter, I said, I'll keep you forever. And he thought about that. Like I could see the wheels turning. And he said, I'm going to keep mommy forever. <laughs> and then the kid had the nerve to say, and I'll keep Hadley forever. I knew there was no sense in waiting around for me on that list, but maybe someday, maybe someday, holding out hope. <laughs> Moms have been an, such a key part, not only to just human life, obviously, but in spiritual life for generations and generations. Uh, Jesus left us with a mission as a church, to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them and teaching them to obey the things that he taught and commanded. And I, I believe that there's no sense in us trying to make disciples of all nations if we're not making disciples first in our homes. And so this series, this little two-part thing that we're doing on Mother's Day and Father's Day this year revolves around that. Let's make disciples in our homes first. And moms and grandmothers and mother figures have been doing that as long as there's been a church. Uh, one of those examples is from a, a verse that we just read a moment ago. Uh, he's, we have this letter that's written from the Apostle Paul to a young man he was mentoring. He was pastoring a church uh, and he was probably even younger than me. I get comments all the time like, oh, you're so young to be a pastor. I'm like, I don't feel that young, but okay. Uh, but this guy even felt young. He felt so young that he didn't really even feel hardly qualified. And, and so the Apostle Paul would write him these letters of mentoring and encouragement. And we read there that uh, Timothy, this young pastor, this young man, had from infancy known the Holy Scriptures. He had been raised up in it. Now, we find in other parts of Paul's writings to Timothy that, uh, that he had a, a mother and a grandmother. Uh, in fact, in 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So, this is so interesting to me because... Timothy is probably the first person that we hear of and know of that was a second generation Christian. Uh, and really almost like a third generation Christian. Probably his mother and grandmother came to faith at the same time. And they were some of the very first Christians ever. The very first people whom the gospel came to them out of Jerusalem where all these events took place and Jesus died and rose again. And then it began to spread. And as it began to spread, some of the very first people to hear the good news of Jesus and accept it on, by faith on the eyewitness accounts that they received were this lady, Eunice, and uh, Lois, her mother. And Eunice had a child. 
who we don't know if she already had a child when she received the gospel or if she had a child shortly right after that, but they trained this child up in the Holy Scriptures. Now for them, the Holy Scriptures referred to the Old Testament. The New Testament was being written as they lived. But they trained up their child in the Holy Scriptures, the same ones that they had been trained up in as Jewish women. And they passed on this heritage to this young man. And Paul says, you've known this stuff since you were a child. And that, that information, those scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. So we have an example. From the very dawn of Christianity of a mother and a grandmother passing on their faith. What about this guy's dad? All we're told is that he was a Greek. Not a Greek Christian, so he was probably a worshiper of pagan idols and things. Uh, we don't know that much about him, but we know that Timothy's faith came from his mother and his grandmother. And because of their faith and influence, this young man grew up and landed an apprenticeship with the Apostle Paul. Now that's pretty big stuff. <laughs> so pretty cool story. And how many stories like that do we know? Of people who you know, come back to church in their adulthood because of the influence of an aunt or a grandmother or a mother that took them to church as a child. Things like that. This has been going on for thousands of years where faithful women of God and women of faith have been raising up and making disciples of children whom they care for. These scriptures that they, that they taught to young Timothy would have definitely, undoubtedly included the great command from Jewish lineage and history and from the Old Testament law that said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Uh, people who adhere to the Jewish religion still today still pray that every day. It's central to their faith. And so he, raised, he was raised up knowing that. And, and right before that famous passage that Jesus also picked up on and emphasized, right? Uh, right before that came was the Ten Commandments. And, and after Moses gives the Ten Commandments and, and says, look, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you'll love him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. After that command came this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Now, many people of faith have taken these words very literally. And they've, you know, in Jewish faith, and maybe some of them still do this, they write the scripture on little pieces of paper, and they put them in boxes that they tie to their forehead and to their arms. And they walk around with them, and they live with it. And it's, you know, part of their life and part of their daily routine. But, you know, surely we get the point. This is, you know, weave the wisdom of Scripture. Weave the Word of God into your daily lives. Into your 
put on to your children, not by sending them to Sunday school, though that's good. You know, not by taking them to church, though that's good. But by putting it in your daily routine with your kids. So when you sit around at home, talk about it. Talk about your faith. When, you, uh, when you're traveling, right, and you're walking by the way or driving down the road, how much time do we spend with our kids in the car these days? When you're driving down the road, there's an opportunity, especially if you can get them to put the iPad down for a minute <laughs> or turn the DVD off for a minute. There's an opportunity there. When you lie down and when you rise, so when it's bedtime and you're putting them to bed, you've got a lot of choices of what you could read to them about and talk to them about. When they get up in the morning, there's a routine there of getting ready for the day. And you can work your faith into that routine as well. So in all of our goings and doings and just the things of life, work in your faith into that. And, therefore, and thereby, you're passing on the commands of God, the, the wisdom of God, just as Timothy's mother did in his life. And so we do this, we're taught to do this by Scripture. You know, there's, there's a lot of wisdom today in the world that says you shouldn't do that. Uh, popular wisdom today in our culture says train your child up in, in choosing, you know, like their ability to choose, that you should raise them up with lots of choices so that they can choose their path as they get older, right? You want them to be able to make good choices, and so you give them options. You don't tell them which way to go. You say, uh, well, you know, you want the pink shirt or the blue shirt, right? Which, that's innocent enough, but you, it's expanding in our culture to everything from, you know, which gender do you want to be? And we'll make it happen. You know, this is the common wisdom in our culture. We read this in Scripture, and this is the wisdom that we get from God's Word, that you train up a child in the way he or she should go. And even when they're older, they'll not depart from it. I used to read Proverbs like this, and in my mind, this is the you know, warped way that my mind works. I would think... I know cases where that didn't work. <laughs> Any of you know cases where that didn't work? Like, you've seen parents just do an outstanding job. I mean, you don't live with them, but it appears that they all their siblings turn out fine, and that one did not, you know? So, uh, so it's not a 10 out of 10 sort of thing, and I, and I used to stress about that because I felt like, well, it says right there in Scripture, if you do this, this happens. Uh, you know, this input equals this output. And so if I know of situations where that's not happening, uh, then how do, you know, what, what does that mean? How does that work? And there's actually quite a few proverbs like this uh, that teach, you know, if you do this, then this will happen. And we can all think of examples where it didn't. And finally dawned on me what these are. I mean, it says right there, so it shouldn't have been that hard to get it through my head, but these are wisdom sayings. They're proverbs. They're wisdom sayings. They're not infallible laws. They're wisdom sayings. And we know about wisdom, right? Wisdom has to do with, has to do with what works best 
you know, yes, train up a child in the way he should go, and it may not be 10 times out of 10 that he'll grow up and not depart from it. Maybe it's 9 times out of 10. Maybe it's 8 times out of 10. But most of the time, this is what works. In fact, if you take all the options out there of ways you could train up a child, uh, you could train up a child to go whichever way they want. Uh, you could, and if that worked the best for getting them to go the right way, then the wisdom saying would be train up a child in the way that, you know, choosing which way he wants to go. And then when he's older, he'll choose the right way. <laughs> right? And if that's what worked, if that's what worked the best, then that would be wisdom. But what works the best, and has worked the best for generations and generations, is training a child up in the way they should go. And that gives you the best odds of a child who will, when they're older, not depart from that way. Does that make sense? So it's a wisdom saying. It's wisdom to train a child up in the way they should go. Because that makes it most likely that the outcome will be what you hope for your child. Now there's also a lot of popular wisdom in our culture that says, well, who are you to say which way they should go? Maybe they want to go, you know, New Age or Buddhism or whatever. Like, there's options out there. So who are you to say that this is the way they should go and train your child up that way? Well, let's just, let's just be real for a minute. Not every way of life is created equal. I think everybody can agree on that. Uh, whether, you know, I mean, whether you were Buddhist or Hinduist or Islamic or whatever, like, or a non, nons are popular these days. Whatever background you come from in faith, I think we can all agree that not every way of life is created equal. Different ways of living lead to different outcomes for your life. Some ways lead to disaster. Some ways often lead to addiction. Some ways lead to uh, a lot of anxiety and stress, drama, problems, negativity, in some ways lead to life, in some ways lead to peace, in some ways lead people to be more loving, more compassionate towards others. Uh, some ways of life lead in some you know, philosophies and religions and ways of thinking and doing and being uh, lead to violence against this group or that group. And yes, some people have used Judaism or Christianity through the past to explain away violence. But no one who ever stayed true to the message of Jesus has been a person of violence that's seeking a fight, that's looking to harm others. Not every way of life is created equal. And as Christians who believe that Jesus died and rose again, who believe that Jesus is the King of Kings, who believes that reality is that He is Lord and His law is love and it's the best law ever, we believe that there is a better way of life, that there is a best way to live that leads to the best outcomes. And so how can we want anything else for our kids than the best way to live? And if that's what we want for our kids, then the only loving thing to do is to train them up 
in that way, in the Jesus way, in God's way. We train them up in that way in hopes that when they're older, they won't depart from it. And we find that when we do our part faithfully, most of the time they do. And we thank God for that. On your note cards, if you want to fill it out, the first sentence there is, let's parent, or we've got a lot of grandparents in the room too. Uh, we've got aunts, uncles, we've got people, anyone with influence in a child's life. This message should be helpful to you. Let's parent to make disciples. It's a way of saying let's parent on purpose, with a purpose, with an end in mind, with a goal. To raise up disciples of Jesus, people, young people who follow after the ways of Jesus because it's the best way of life and we want what's best for them if we love them. So let's parent to make disciples. It dawned on me recently that I've been learning a lot about spiritual disciplines and how you incorporate those into your life as a way of partnering with the Holy Spirit and making yourself available to the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life to transform you, to help you put off old habits and things that aren't helpful and aren't Christ-like and, and to put on new ones that are. And so that's all a lot about disciplining yourself, right? And, and it dawned on me through that process of learning about that that my parents partnered with the Holy Spirit when they raised me. That my mom and dad, through discipline, were helping me partner with the Holy Spirit. Just like spiritual disciplines that I place on myself as an adult are a way of partnering with the Holy Spirit to help make me the kind of person that he wants me to be. Um, so the things that my parents did to me helped me grow into the person that I became. Not that I'm arrived, like it's still a work in progress, as you all know. But, no. uh, but man, if it hadn't been for that, I'd have been starting at square one, you know, so I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. I'm trying to do the same thing to my kids. It, you know, that's, I realize, like, this is what I'm actually partnering with the Holy Spirit in their lives by disciplining them and teaching them how to live. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I keep bringing that up. It's a good list to have on hand and it comes in handy in sermons. So if you want your child to grow up in this way, teach them to be loving. Give them an expectation of it. Model it for them. Teach them to be kind to their siblings for a start. Good luck. But work on it. You know, in these ways, through disciplining your child, you are teaching the ways of God and raising up and working with the Holy Spirit to train this child up in the way they should go. So, I'm adding this. This is our PS. We can't make disciples without discipline. Those two words go together. It goes together in your life. Like as a, in my life, I can't be a disciple without discipline in my life. 
That's just, those words go together. You can tell by looking at them. They come from the same root. You can't have a disciple, someone who's learning to be like someone, if they're not disciplined in that direction. And so it is with our kids. We can't make disciples of our children without discipline in their lives. And I want to share with you just a couple of practical things as we think through this on Mother's Day. The first thing is this. If I could give you one goal in disciplining your child, and I know, look, I'm, I've got two young kids, so it's not like I've arrived. We don't even know how they're going to turn out. Right. It's not like I've got it figured all out, you know, but I, I, I love being a parent, and I love studying about parenting and learning new stuff, and uh, so it's just something I'm passionate about. Uh, so this is stuff I'm learning, and I'm sh- sharing, and hopefully some of it's good. We'll find out in a few years. But if I could give you one goal, and I heard this the other day on a podcast or something, self-control. If, if you have one aim for your discipline, it's to teach your child self-control. Especially, look, we've got a three-year-old right now. That is like prime time need self-control, right? Like this, you need to start learning it at that stage. It's going to serve you well the rest of your life. So as a disciple of Jesus, as an adult, I need self-control to be able to discipline myself, right? Like I can't have any discipline in my life to partner with the Holy Spirit in making me a new person if I don't have some measure of self-control. And thankfully, for those who weren't raised with self-control, the Holy Spirit can help grow that in you. I believe that He is powerful enough to do that. Absolutely. But if you want to help your child along, teach them self-control from an early age. At an early age, they have almost no self-control. Like, they come out of the womb with zero. (laughs) And some of that develops as their brain develops. And you can't teach a one-year-old to have the self-control of a 30-year-old, but you can help them make the steps that they need to make to being more self-controlled. I remember having a talk with Hadley when she was like 18 months, and I'm sure it's way too early to have this talk. But she's an exceptional child. And it actually seemed to help, so I'm, whatever. Peter, I'm not so sure. But I, I was giving her a speech. We were on our way over to her Aunt Vicky's house, and we'd been having meltdowns. Every time we had to leave Aunt Vicky's house, it was, ah! you know, it's like, I'm not doing it anymore, child. So I so, said, so, Hadley, do you know what self-control means? You know, like, two-year-old Hadley. No, Daddy. <laughs> so I'm like laying out in as simple a definition as I can, like, here's what self-control is, and here's how we're going to use it today. <laughs> When we leave Aunt Vicky's house, here's the expectation. And so you begin to teach uh, self-control in small ways and to encourage it in your child's life, even from an early age. And so, man, if you've got little kids around, whether it's a grandkid or a great-grandkid or whatever, and, and you have a chance to, in small ways, pour something into them, pour a little self-control into them. You know, there's a season of life where their motivation for self-control is the reward that you're offering them or, or the punishment if they don't, right? It's kind of like the carrot and the stick. And that 
is what gets through to their two or three year old brain or even their six or seven year old brain or whatever. Like as their brain is developing, they, they can't think long term. In fact, this is scientific. I'm glad we don't have too many teenagers with us today because this would hurt. Uh, <laughs> but science is teaching us now what people have known for a long time but didn't quite know how to put it to kids. But you're part of your brain that thinks long term, like rationally about consequences down the road, you know, doesn't fully form until the age of 25 or so. It's in process until then. So as a child, you're not even using that part of your brain. You're mostly using like the part that's like, fulfill my, you know, instant gratification, right? I can see about five feet in front of me. I want it now. I want the candy. Give it to me. You know, like, who cares about cavities next year? You know, like, I want the candy now. So that's the way our brain works. And it takes until at least like 25 years of age before that part of your brain fully forms, which makes you wonder, why do we let kids vote at 18? <laughs> and some people want to move it to 16. I'm like, are you kidding? Do you remember being 16? Have you ever had a 16-year-old? I, I don't understand. Anyway. Getting down a side trail. So we all remember being there as teenagers and what that was like and as little kids. Uh, we've, if those of us that have worked with children that age or have had children that age, we understand like the brains don't work that way. And this is part of what's so wrong and why some pediatricians are so upset with this new trend that's spreading through Western culture of if a child you know, thinks that they're a different gender, we'll go ahead and start the process of changing them to that gender as a child because they want that. They don't even know what they want. Their brain hasn't even developed. This is science, people. Okay, sorry. <sighs> sorry. I'll calm down. All right. <laughs> self-control. Somebody teach some self-control. What about moms? Just some specific advice to moms or kind of try to wrap this thing up. Uh, one piece of advice would be to just do what Timothy's mom did and what Timothy's grandmom did. Right? Pass on scripture. Pass it on. Do what faithful moms have done for generations. Sure, bring them to church, but also work it into your daily routines and your lives with your kids. When you get them up in the morning, when you put them to bed at night, when you're in the car going to this ball game or that ball game or going to visit family or whatever, take advantage of the opportunities and pass along what was passed on to you or what you've found in Christ Jesus. And one more thing, and maybe this is a little odd for a Mother's Day message to moms, but empower a father figure. Empower a father figure. We live in a culture, and I'm going to talk about this a lot more on Father's Day. But we live in a culture that has often undermined dads for maybe the first time in human history. Uh, there was a time in history where dads tended to be overbearing, if anything. That they were too involved in the process, and sometimes they needed to chill out and relax. And some of those dads still exist. You see them at ball games sometimes, right? <laughs> And you're like, that poor child. <laughs> but by and large in our culture, dads have been undermined. And maybe dads have been uh, quick, too quick to relinquish responsibility 
that they should have taken on. We know too many stories of dads who've walked away, dads who are absent, dads who are uninvolved, dads who don't want anything to do with faith, and so they don't bother helping raise up their children in the faith, in the way. We know too many stories of this. Our culture encourages it. You watch it on TV, any show, movie that depicts a dad. Show me one uh, like Father Knows Best back in the 50s or whatever. Is that the right decade? <laughs> they don't make shows with that title anymore because everyone in our culture knows that moms know best. The, the pendulum has swung. And I'm glad that moms are getting the recognition that they've deserved for thousands of years. But God made us to have two parents. He made us male and female. You can't procreate without male and female. And so it makes sense then that you need a male and a female, not only to have a child, but to raise a child. We are different from each other. We parent different from each other. And the best way for a human child to be raised up is by a human mother and a human father. This shouldn't be rocket science. It shouldn't be even a matter of religious faith. It's pretty biologically self-evident, I think. But not everyone agrees. But certainly in Scripture, we're taught that a child needs a mother and a father in their life. Find a father figure that will help train up your children in the way they should go. If you have one, celebrate and empower them to do their job. Sometimes dads in this day and age don't even feel comfortable parenting the way that feels natural as a dad to parent. We're told that that's not appropriate anymore. That we shouldn't be that strict or that firm. We shouldn't discipline that way. Don't tolerate abuse but empower a man to parent like a man. Your child needs that. Just as much as they need the nurturing of a mother. And I know those are stereotypes, but they're often true. It's often how we're wired. If you're wired the opposite, no problem. But you still need both of you. Alright. The thing is about that. When, when we say, when we put it all on moms as a culture... When we say mom is the only one that can figure it out, when it all lays on your responsibility, sometimes literally because the court gives, it to, gives the child to mom, it, great Neil, <laughs> gives the child to mom, you know, most of the time, that's just a sign of what our culture recognizes, you know, that moms are, are vital, the nurturing of a mother is vital, but it's also, we know that it's emphasized that, you know, the mother's parenting technique is definitely emphasized in our culture. And when we do that to moms, it puts undue pressure on moms. There is so much anxiety amongst mothers these days. You read the, and listen to the thoughts of mothers that they post online and just the stress that they're under and the having to, you know, constantly seek encouragement and affirmation. They need support. You need support, moms. So find a man who's willing to step up and support you. Hopefully it's, that's the child's dad. But if he doesn't want any part of it, find someone, a grandparent, a friend, someone who will invest in your child as a man to support what you're doing, to take some of the pressure and some of the weight off of it all resting on your shoulders. 
And that would be a good Mother's Day gift, wouldn't it? Have a little support, <laughs> a little added support. So I encourage you to empower someone. If you've got someone who's already doing a pretty good job at that, encourage them, empower them, make sure that they know that you give them full freedom to do their thing. <laughs> and that'll be a blessing to you. I believe that. Let's, uh, oh, one more thing as we close. The, uh, the pressure that we put on ourselves sometimes as parents is the pressure of that proverb, right? That we've got to train up this child just right or else they may not turn out right. And then that's on us. And so sometimes this wisdom saying can turn into a thing that burdens us, that makes us feel guilt or shame at some point in our lives. And I want to encourage you that just don't do that because I mean, you're not that powerful. <laughs> I, I heard this the other day. God is the best dad. He, we call him father. And look at all the messed up children he's got. Take a little pressure off yourself. You have a role to play. It's vital. It's important. But you can't control the outcome. All you can do is your part to the best that you can. So do your part. Train up your child faithfully. And, and learn this lesson with me. Let the anxiety of how it turns out go. And trust them to the Lord. You don't know how it will end. The Lord does. And trust them to Him. Do your part. Moms, I want to pray a, a prayer of blessing for you. So in a second, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to give you one resource, though. If you're looking for a resource for discipline, and I'm going to bring this up again, hopefully on Father's Day. Uh, if you're interested in something like this hits you where you're at and you feel like you're struggling with children right now or you know someone who's struggling with children, I mean, it is... The struggle is real, right? So if you're there and you would like some help and encouragement, I ran across this resource the other day. I haven't been through it myself, but I've heard um, this lady's teaching and she's a sound teacher on parenting. It's uh, Dr. Meg Meeker, and she offers an online course periodically through the year called, uh, well, I can't even read the thing. And I forgot to write down the word. It's like a long title. Discipline with Love and Care or something like that. Uh, that's real good, Neil. Encouraging, what? Ah, Discipline with Courage and Kindness. That sounds better than what I, whatever I said. Discipline with Courage and Kindness. Dr. Meg Meeker, if you just go to you know, search for her name, you'll pull up her website and you can find this uh, link to this online course that she offers. And it sounds like a really practical thing. It costs more than a book and is more involved than a book, but also might be more effective than just a book that sits and collects dust on your shelf as they try to walk alongside parents and uh, learning some discipline strategies and techniques so, that work in today's culture. So that's that. Moms, would you stand if you're in the room and I just want to say a prayer over you. We're not going to make you recite anything or 
anything like that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the mothers in our lives. God, it's a hard job, and we pray your blessing on them, your encouragement in their lives. Lord, the responsibility of parenting is a, is a heavy one, and ultimately there's only so much that we can do, but Holy Spirit, we'd ask you to come alongside us and help us. Help us to do what we can. Help us to make disciples in our homes. I pray that you would bless each mother standing before me today. Bless their families as they celebrate today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.